I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about a breakthrough in embryo modeling, a breathing ball that could take the edge off of anxiety, and the fall of a dynasty. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. Researchers from the Wiseman Institute of Science in Israel have created the first ever 14-day-old human embryo. Mm, but literally every single person who ever lived on the planet was a 14-day-old embryo at one point. Did I mention that this embryo didn't come from a mother and a father? It was grown from stem cells. Aha, you didn't mention that. We've talked about this on the show before. Scientists are using stem cells to grow organs and limbs and treat diseases and do all kinds of things. Yes, but... Did I mention that this isn't actually an embryo? It's a lab-grown model of an embryo. Okay, well, you know you didn't mention that. Come on. (laughs) All right, wait a second. So this is starting to get weird. Let me get it straight. Scientists in Israel used stem cells to grow a model of a human embryo. Exactly. It turns out it's actually a major breakthrough because despite the billions and billions of people who have been born, we actually don't know all that much about this period of pregnancy. And the first few weeks after an egg becomes fertilized is a time of massive change, and it's also the time when most miscarriages take place. It seems strange that we don't know more about that period. Like, why is that? That is a great question. The biggest reason is because, well, it's just ethically tricky to go poking around a 14-day-old human embryo. If all goes well, eventually that embryo will turn into a person. Of course, and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but it's also a huge technical challenge. Doctors can take scans, but a two-week-old embryo is ultimately too small and fragile to handle without causing catastrophic harm. So this is something that researchers have been working toward for a long time. So how did they do it? Well, basically, they started out with what they call naive stem cells naive because they don't know what they are yet, right? Well, that's one way to put it. They have the potential to become just about any part of the body if they're trained. So the scientists used chemicals to kind of convince them to become the four different types of cells you'd find in an early embryo. That's the epiblast, which will eventually become the fetus, the trophoblast, which will form into the placenta, the hypoblast, which will develop into the supportive yolk sac, and then the extra embryonic cells. These guys will grow outside of the embryo. And you said they used chemicals to convince them? How do you convince a stem cell? (laughs) Well, it, it turns out you can't just make a stem cell become whatever you want it to become. It takes its cues from chemicals and other cells around it. So if it's around chemicals that would usually be around when an embryo forms, the hope is it'll just assume that's what it's supposed to be. And in this case, that worked? Yep. They took 120 cells and mixed them all up in a shaker. (laughs) Like the world's most high-tech cocktail bar. Gross. 
But yes. So about 1% of this stem cell cocktail took the hint and started to assemble itself into what looked like a human embryo. So how close to an actual human embryo was it? It is the spitting image. It's not identical, but it's really, really close. In fact, it even produced hormones that caused a pregnancy test to show positive. And thanks to these naive stem cells, scientists got a detailed 3D view of its architecture and cell organization. That means they can finally go deeper into that early development and study things like cell specialization, organ formation, miscarriages, or birth defects without all the ethical issues of real embryos. This could also improve IVF success in the future. So will this embryo just keep growing? It feels like that could have some ethical implications as well. Right. Well, okay, so first of all, it's not actually viable. It's just not possible for it to turn into a flesh and blood human. Uh, Like I said, it's a close model of a human embryo, but it's not the real deal. Okay, I guess it's like my my Lego Millennium Falcon. It looks like the real thing, but I'm not ever going to fly it to the Death Star. I mean, you know, you live your dreams, but... uh... (laughs) So you see, the legal standard for studying embryos in most places is 14 weeks. You just can't go past that. But with these models, theoretically, scientists could keep them developing to study them. But they want to cross their ethical T's and dot their ethical I's before they take this to the next level. Nonetheless, this could lead the way to a revolutionary new understanding of an embryo's early development. I know this won't be the last stem cell story we'll do, but this one makes a good model. Get it? I feel like that joke was unethical. How do you feel about meditating? Ooh, see, I love it. I I take a deep breath, and then my mind gets quiet, and then I get an itch on my nose, and I try to remember if I paid my credit card bill, and I plan out what I'm going to eat for dinner, and I imagine myself on a beach in the Caribbean, and then Mm -hmm. I think about penguins, Mm -hmm. and yeah, it goes really well. Yeah, I'm getting that. (laughs) Yeah, meditation. I love it. Uh, Yeah, I'll be honest. That does sound like what happens when I try it myself. But it turns out we are not alone. Meditation is meant to clear the mind, you know, bringing our attention back to the present moment. People with a regular meditation practice report all kinds of benefits. You know, they get a sense of well-being and calmness and even increased happiness. But the truth is, bringing our attention back to the present moment is really hard. It really is. I mean, whenever I try to meditate, I actually love those first couple of minutes when I'm all like, zend out and calm, but then my brain starts kicking back into gear and thoughts come rushing back. Yeah, well, that's the problem that a computer science student and researcher named Alex Farall at the University of Bath in the UK is trying to solve with his new ball. I'm sorry, did you say ball? Yep. In the universe of new gadgets, uh, this one's pretty cool. He calls it PAWS, or the Physical Artifact for Well-Being Support. (laughs) Clever. Basically, it's a little ball that you hold Every time you breathe in and out, it also breathes in and out. Like it sinks to your own breathing? Exactly. Most meditation practices begin with the breath, which is one of those things we just kind of do without thinking about it, right? But studies have found that focusing on our breath in meditation can significantly impact anxiety, stress, and depression. Researchers have used focused breathing and meditation to manage pain and even withdrawal symptoms from things like nicotine and alcohol. Gotcha. So if you're like me and you can't focus on your breath, then you're not reaping all of those relaxing benefits. And that's where this breathing ball comes in. Feeling the ball breathe is meant to focus back on your own breath. The ball makes breath a tangible thing that users can see and feel expand and contract between their hands. And that, says for all, should make a meditation practice easier to sustain. But does it work? I mean, couldn't I just hold my cat? Like, kitty purrs are also pretty relaxing. Well, no argument on that one. 
But the synchronization is the point here. In its current form, the person is connected to the ball with wires and pneumatics so that it can tell when you breathe in and out so it can pair up with you. That doesn't sound so relaxing. Fair, fair. The, the plan, though, is to make future versions with remote sensors and Bluetooth so that it can work wirelessly. But Frawl and his team tested the prototype and found that people using the ball had 75% less anxiety and 56% more protection against worrying thoughts compared to when they used just a meditation app alone. Okay, that's, that's pretty impressive for a little breathing ball. Yeah, not bad, not bad. So they need to do a larger study on this little gizmo to make sure the benefits are real, but if it lives up to its promise, it could help bring the benefits of meditation to lots of people. And that is a good thing. I'm going to try now. just going to... Um, um, you, uh, you could wait to start meditating until we're done with the show. Nope, you got the rest of this. It's all you. Go ahead. Maybe. Uh, um, okay. Give this a shot. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You can't pick up a paper or turn on the news these days without hearing about the rise of China. They are America's primary economic rival, and by the looks of it, that'll continue for years to come. But what most Americans don't know is that this isn't China's first trip around the global superpower merry-go-round. The Qing dynasty of China was a behemoth. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm like probably most Americans. I'm not even sure what time period we're talking about here. <laughs> okay, that's fair. It began in 1644 and pretty quickly began the work of unifying the Chinese empire. During the Qing dynasty, China grew from around 150 million people to over 450 million. The territory tripled. At one point, their economy represented 33% of global GDP. To put that into context, the China of today that economists can't stop talking about represents around 18 or 19% of global GDP. So the Qing dynasty was actually bigger than today's China. Well, there were fewer people back then as a whole, but their influence and stature really can't be overstated. But here's the thing. Around 1912, the Qing dynasty just ended. It just ended? It had been in decline for years, but historians mark 1912 as the year it finally crumbled. Okay, why? I mean, that wasn't all that long ago, relatively speaking. When something that massive comes to an end, you'd think we'd have heard more about it. The end of the Qing dynasty is the focus of a new paper led by the Complexity Science Hub in Vienna, Austria. For decades, historians have disagreed on many of the basic factors behind the crumbling of this 250-year-old empire. But researcher Peter Turchin helped develop a method of analysis called the Structural Demographic Theory that basically looks at as many factors as possible to figure out what actually happened. All right, so what uh, happened? Well, basically, they found three main factors behind the collapse. The first has everything to do with people. L lots of people. From 1700 to 1840, the population tripled. When you're a growing economy, that's usually a good thing. Unless lots of those people are left without stuff to do and ways to make a living. The urban centers rose, and people in the rural areas became impoverished. So there was a lot of income inequality. 
And that's not something you want to happen. Not even a little bit. Extreme stratification can lead to unrest, right? So the second factor has everything to do with the other end of the spectrum, the elites. The Qing had an incredible system of education. In order to be a member of the elite class, you had to go through specific degree certifications. It meant that they had some great leaders on the positive side, but once that population exploded, they had a whole bunch of people qualified to take up leadership roles, but not enough leadership roles to go around. So they didn't make space at that top. Yep, and competition became vicious. So you have a lot of unhappy poor folks in the country and a lot of unhappy elites in the city. Yeah, I think I see where this is headed. Yeah, lots of unhappy people. That leads to the third factor. The state just couldn't afford to suppress all that unrest or make up for the lack of productivity, and the economy started to quake. Too many poor people, too many unhappy elites, and not enough money to take care of them all. Exactly. So one of the most remarkable things about the Qing is that they built really, really stable and robust institutions. Had they not built their empire on that, it probably would have crumbled much sooner. Okay, I gotta say I'm thinking about something. Income inequality, fierce competition for power, fewer and fewer opportunities. Does that remind you of anything? I am glad you mentioned that because that's one of the main points of this study. It's not just about the Qing dynasty. Their goal was to understand why societies fail. The Qing already knew these factors were at play, but they didn't do enough to resolve them. So will our society be able to withstand some of these same factors? Absolutely. But the first step is approaching these problems with clear eyes. And that's why studies like this make for essential reading. Right. Long-term planning isn't easy, but it's probably a better option than sorting through history books to figure out what went wrong. Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. Scientists created a synthetic model of a 14-day-old human embryo from stem cells, allowing research into early human development while avoiding ethical issues around the use of natural embryos. This breakthrough could lead to better understanding of miscarriages, birth defects, and improve in vitro fertilization methods. A student inventor at the University of Bath has created a breathing ball that expands and shrinks with your inhales and exhales, helping ease anxiety and keep you focused during meditation. It's a bouncy mindfulness buddy that could roll in a new wave of stress-busting tools. Researchers used historical analysis and social science frameworks to identify how population growth, elite competition, and financial strains combined to destabilize the hugely prosperous Qing dynasty in China, which ended in its collapse in 1912. The research demonstrates how leaders need long-term vision to recognize and resolve the complex pressures that can fracture even wealthy societies over time. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we would love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. 